Today on the podcast, we had Coach Grant Myers, and I know y'all will love all the wisdom that that he gives to the listeners in this podcast. Uh, he coaches at Pickens High School. He is the strength coach, and he's a defensive coordinator. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I know y'all will too. And you will hear from him after a quick word from our sponsor. All right. On the podcast today, we have Coach Grant Myers. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Coach, we connected on Twitter. I think it's how I connect with all my people that come on. <laughs> it's the, I think Twitter's awesome. What are, what are your thoughts on Twitter before we get into uh, you know, some, some meat and potatoes about you? So I think social media in general is it's great in a lot of facets because it connects different people um, that otherwise would not have the same platform to make those connections. Some of it becomes a bit mundane and monotonous uh, as far as some of the over-the-top self-promotion. But I also think that Twitter particularly is great because you've got 240 characters to get your point across right there. Someone else can agree with you, disagree with you. You know, you don't have to go read through this long diatribe. And it, I mean, it just works. You know, I think it's a, right now in society, we want information right here, right now. And it allows you to, you know, get information right here now. That's awesome. And, you know, I'm looking at your Twitter right now on my phone. Uh, You got all the the cool emojis next to your titles. Coach, you're doing it right. You got a picture of your field and your header. That's, that's fantastic. Hey, you know, got to brand everything, man. Got to brand it. That's true, man. I I feel like as high school coaches, we're almost like college coaches in some way because we mm-hmm. have to make it to where kids want to play for us way more now than even, I don't know, 15 years ago. What do you, what do you think about that? Oh, I, I, I've been doing this 10 years now. And I think that selling your program, selling yourself, is totally different in 2020 than it was in 2010. Like you're talking about a completely different kid, a completely different, their access to other things, you know, to any sort of other stimulus is, is they've got so much more. So you've got to do something to brand yourself, to make them want to be part of whatever you're doing, whether it's coaching football, coaching wrestling, coaching basketball, you know, uh, Shoot, we're the esports champions at Pickens High School. You know, we're esports state champs. So, but our esports guy does a great job branding and gets kids involved in that. So, I think it goes a long way in getting participation. That's awesome, coach. So, let's get into the meat and potatoes about you. So, give the listener just some background about what you've done, where you are, uh, things of that nature. So this will be my 10th year coaching. I spent my first eight years at Spalding High School in Griffin, Georgia, which is about an hour south of Atlanta. It's You're starting to get to the kind of a blend of middle Georgia, rural, but still have access to Atlanta right there with some metropolitan uh, blending between the two places. Um, I started out as a social studies teacher my first two years and linebacker coach. Uh, in my third year, our head coach promoted me to defensive coordinator and wanted me to take over the weight room so that he could move out of the weight room and start, you know, being more of a figurehead, take care of, you know, managerial type stuff. Uh, so I did that for the following six years there at Spalding. Um, great place. Uh, it was a program that when we got there, it was struggling. It had not had a winning season or made the playoffs. 
um, since 2003. Uh, we did a good job. We won a lot of games. Uh, the guy that I worked for, Nick Davis, you know, real close friend of mine um, to this day, still uh, winning his coaching school history there. Um, he decided to take a job at nearby Fayette County High School after the 2018 season. Um, I initially went in and uh, applied for the head coaching job, but after talking to our county AD down there and the principal that I'd be working for, I I didn't have a great feeling like I was ever going to be their guy. That if I got that job, that it would be something that uh, just kind of fell to me and it was, I was never going to have true support. So I just started looking around and, uh, you know, to kind of go with what we were talking about earlier, Pickens High School, a place that had never won, uh, you know, prior to the previous head coach, Chris Parker, getting there, um, you know, on a big level. They were coming off an 11-1 season. He had retired and become the county athletic director. I had a friend on staff there that I'd known for several years that reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in coming up here because we've got a defensive coordinator and weight room position open? And I said, all right, you know what, I'm just going to come up there. Came up here, um, interviewed, you know, the, the campus is outstanding. We've got the best facilities in North Georgia. We've got the first public school with a artificial turf baseball softball complex. We've got an indoor hidden facility. We've got a 6,000 square foot weight room. Uh, you know, all the bells and whistles were there. Uh, I've got unbelievable administration. And so it was one of those things that after the interview, I came back home, talked to my wife, and I said, you know, even if this is not a head coaching job, which is my, you know, long-term goal, you know, this is a great position. This is a great job. This is a great place for us to look at coming and raising family, which ironically, the day that I interviewed uh, was also the day that my wife found out she was pregnant with our first child, too. She took pregnancy test. So it was one of those things that it just felt like everything was right. This past year, we went six and five. We should have been much better than we were. Um, it was kind of a transition year, moving from one staff to another. And now we're going into year two with the new staff and it's a totally different type of transition year. You know, we're getting ready to play football, um, you know, but that could change at any moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about, like, where is Georgia with all the, the COVID stuff going on? So right now, uh, the Georgia High School Athletic Association met on Monday and they moved the season back two weeks. We will start – Official practice next Monday, as we would have normally, but as far as scrimmages and games, they have been moved back two weeks where first scrimmage can take place on August 21st. First game can take place on September 4th. Now, what that means as far as us playing, I think that they're going to try to play as much as they can because football is extremely important to the state of Georgia. Football is extremely important for the Georgia High School Association in terms of making money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they definitely understand where their bread is buttered. And if we don't play football, a lot of other sports will suffer. So if, you, if I had to guess right now, if our governor or, you know, if nationally we're not shut down by some larger body, I would assume that we're going to play football in the state of Georgia. Um, COVID's affected different spots of the state differently. Where we're at, it's not terrible. We're at the uh, low to moderate risk, whereas Atlanta, south of Atlanta, spots in South Georgia, 
they're at the higher risk. So they're even if you know we're in school and it's you're able to play and attend virtually, some districts will probably still not allow football to be played. Um, it's going to be very interesting to watch the next few weeks unfold. Yeah, here in West Virginia, we did basically the same thing. So we were got we got pushed back two weeks, and you know we'll see if we play or not. I don't know. I, I think we got a good chance to play. Hopefully, we do. That'd be great. Right. Uh, yes. You know, like what? I think it's more for the kids and than anybody, and you know, they need that structure. Exactly. Well, and you don't want to take something away from a kid that they can never get their senior year football back you know a kid that's been working for that their whole life they know they're not going to go to play college football you, you don't want to steal that from them the same way a kid that's a marginal college football player but that may be the only way that they have a chance to go to college is through an athletic scholarship and they need a senior year to you know, make that happen you don't want to steal that from that kid um you know there's no right or wrong answer though yeah Wild times we live in, Coach. Wild, wild times. Uh, so, Coach, let's talk about your weight room philosophy. That's something that I was a exercise science major in college, and I love listening to guys talk about how do they use the weight room to benefit their athletes. Well, the biggest thing for me is we're going to be Olympic-based because I think that it translates across the board for any sport. You've got to be able to bend. You've got to be able to hinge. You've got to be able to triple extend and explode. You've got to be able to stabilize weight. Um, and I think the Olympic lifts pair very well with that, and they work hand-in-hand hand with it. Um, you know, we're big on the push-pull system where we're going to push as far as pressing and squatting. And then the following day we'll pull where that's where we're going super heavy with our Olympics, where we're cleaning, we're snatching, we're jerking. Um, we're really trying to get triple extension right there. We're deadlifting. Um, so those are, that's kind of where the foundation and our fundamentals are built as far as what we're looking at total programming. Now, how we program, our football players in January is totally different than kind of how we would program our girls basketball players because they're in the middle of their season. Whereas our football players, all right, it's bulk time. It's time to put on some masks, put on some strength. Now, how do we accomplish that? Well, we may be going five sets of three, climbing heavy weight there with our deadlifts, you know, and those girls basketball. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to do clean pulls. So y'all are going lighter weight, but we're going to triple extend. You're going to still work on getting stronger, work on getting more explosive, but while still minimizing the toll that it takes on your body in season. Talk about like football. How do you like break your your year into different like periods? Like so you're there's different ways you're training your guys. So how do you do that as, as a string coach? So I look at it like this football game is four quarters. The way we train is much like that four quarters. We come in in January, that's quarter one. We're putting on mass, we're putting on size, we're getting strength. We're really grinding. We're not worrying so much about jumping, running, cutting during that time. Um, you know, we're going to try and get as strong as we can and take that kid that was a marginal JV starter as a sophomore and turn him into a viable varsity player as a junior. How are we going to do that? We're going to grind in the weight room. We're going to give the kid an edge about it. We're going to push him. We're going to develop. I know this is 
an overused term in the weight room world, but we're going to develop some mental toughness. Um, so that's quarter one right there. Quarter two, we're going to come in and now this is after spring break right there. So our spring break in the state of Georgia is it either falls the last week of March or the first week of April. So we'll test on all of our maxes there the last week before we get out for spring break. Then when we come back in April, that's when, all right, we're going to live four days a week still, but one day we're going to spend nothing but sprinting, jumping, cutting, change of direction. Um, we, we're going to do that because we're starting to work towards spring football. And I've seen years where all we did was lift, 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 and we got out there to grass, and we were really freaking strong, but our kids couldn't move, and they were out of shape, and we spent the first week of spring football just getting in shape. We couldn't get anything done. So I think the movement part of that phase two, that, that second quarter right there, up from April until we get out of school is very, very important. Now, when we get out of school, that's when you start quarter three. That's your summer programming. And now we're going to lift three to four days a week, depending on how it falls. If we've got an OTA or a contact camp or a seven-on-seven that we're participating in, we're lifting three to four days a week, but we're also working, sprinting, cutting, jumping the same number of days a week also. Um, then that follows into, we do our summer testing. We call it Ironman at Pickens. Kids get really jacked up. There's a point chart, percentage chart. You know, you've got to get to over 100 points uh, from bench, squat, clean, uh, 5-10-5, vert, broad, 40, all that stuff that a lot of people are doing. Um, so we do our testing there. Then we start our fourth quarter phase, which is now we're in football season. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're going to lift three days a week heavy. And we're going to have a fourth day where we lift and we start scaling back. And then one day a week, we're probably not going to do anything but some light triple extension, whether we're working a clean progression or a snatch progression, and we're not going over 135 or 115. Mm. Um, but then we're going to get foam rollers out. We're going to get PVC out. We're going to do some yoga. We're going to really spend time stretching and recovering. And that's your fourth quarter right there. Um, I do think it is still important to lift heavy and to lift hard in season because, for one, we're dealing with high school kids as far as where they're at as a sophomore in August may not be where they're at in November. Like their bodies are changing at a rapid rate. So we need to continue to lift hard and get stronger because that kid may just be a JV kid at the start of the year. But you may have somebody go down and at the end of the year come playoff time, he's got to be ready to potentially play varsity, whether he be a starter, a backup, a special teams kid, doesn't matter. He's got to be able to take the toll of a varsity Friday night as opposed to just JV Thursday afternoon. You're talking about development. I think that's key. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the whole thing in high school football. You're trying to take average players, make them good players, good players, making great players. The great players are great. I mean, they're just going to be great. That is what, what it is, I feel like. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree completely. I, you know, I've been fortunate that I've coached some really good players. Um, you know, right now, the starting right tackle at Auburn played for me uh, – a backup DB at Auburn played for me, and one of the starting quarter, uh, cornerbacks at University of Georgia played for me. And those kids didn't need a ton of physical development. Like, they were really good when they came to me. Yeah. Um, now, there were some other things as far as, you know, 
player development and whatnot that they had to have to be successful. But the biggest thing weight room wise is let's take this really average kid. Let's give him an edge about himself. Let's work every day. Let's give him a belief in himself that he wouldn't have had prior to. Let's reinforce that through the verbiage that we use to him as a coach. And then also let's challenge it through the situations we put him in um, and see how he responds. And as he continues to respond at a high level, you're taking an average kid who on the Madden scale might have been a 70. And guess what? Now he's a 79, maybe even an 82. And you can win with kids like that. Oh, absolutely. I think high school football, in high school football, wins and losses are far more dependent upon can you get your average player to be better than the other team's average player? No, that's that's completely accurate right there. I think we're very much in sync as far as our views with that. It's, you know, if another team's got really good top-end talent and I don't have really good top-end talent, I'm probably not going to win that game. You know, likewise, if I've just got much better players than the other team, I'm probably going to win that game. But if all the chips are even, it's that the middle piece is right there. If my guys are a little bit better than yours, then I got a better chance of winning that football game. Absolutely, Coach. That's awesome. So let's let's transition to your defensive philosophy. I spent one, two, four years as a defensive coordinator. Uh, I've spent two of those at Elka. I was close to you down there in Spalding County. Man, all right. Yeah, I was there 2013, 2014. I was there the I was there the last two years that did not win the state championship. That's, that's I was just about to say that's that's you left it just about the wrong time there. Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wanted to be a head coach really bad and in 2015 the job came open up here uh in West Virginia and uh took it and we love living up here. I tell people all the time they won five straight after I left. So maybe that was the key. <laughs> <laughs> um, so defensively, I think you've got to have a belief system of who you are as a coach, you know, what you want to do. But also you have to understand where you're at. You know, like I coach in rural North Georgia. Okay, so what we run is we run the stack up here. And we do that because I think the stack is the equivalent to the triple option. Like you can take triple option anywhere. You know, you can go and run it in Metro Atlanta, you can run it in inner city, you can run it in rural North, South Georgia, it doesn't matter. It, as long as you've got a kid that can read it at quarterback right there, you can be successful. Mm -hmm. Defensively, the stack is similar because you can run it anywhere. It doesn't matter what kids you have, you know, what your personnel looks like, you can manipulate it and kind of tweak it here and there to where you can put those kids in a position that they can be successful within the scheme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So talk about your flavor of the stack. Cause you know, at Elka, we ran it a little bit. Didn't really, mm -hmm. we did, we went into something different, uh, more four down stuff, but like there's people that zone don't blitz a lot. There's people that are man and blitz a ton. Where are you on that spectrum? I kind of fall right in the middle, and I know that's sort of a cop-out answer. We will play zone. Like, we can get into too high stuff against multiple formations and run four. We don't run much two read because I don't think we've got corners that can really see two, and if he's vertical, sink back on one. We're not that great in the hips to be able to do that, so we run more four. But also, we'll come and we'll man it up, and we'll send five-man pressures. We don't really have any six-man pressure packages, but we do have multiple five-man pressure packages where we can get after the quarterback. Um, 
personally, if if I had in a perfect world, we'd probably just we're gonna line up, we're gonna pinch, we're gonna slant, backers are gonna fit, and we're gonna play zone coverage behind it. Because I think by doing that, you can just cancel out gaps and you can focus more on fundamentals, mm-hmm. on kids getting better at reading their keys, kids getting better at getting off blocks, kids getting better at tackling, kids getting better at setting an edge, at scraping inside out. Um, now, sometimes you can't just, if you're getting gutted, you're getting gashed, or they're just ripping you apart, throwing the football around, you've got to send pressure or something. Mm-hmm. You've got to do something to get them out of rhythm right there. So when you say you're in zone coverage, are you in cover three, cover four? What's your preference? In the- so it's all formation dependent right there, but we run more four than we do three. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we get more four than we do three. Uh, and then when we get our man coverage, like we never go zero, uh, except if we get pinned down on the goal line. Um, we're in more cover one right there. Uh, and our kids understand, you know, the adjustments, uh, the fits, um, and they do a good job with it. So we're more four than we are three, but we can run either. Um, and then as far as our main stuff, it's cover one. So what do y'all see, like, when you when you play against teams in your region? Like, what kind of offenses are you seeing week in and week out? So before I got up here, you know, everybody was kind of trying to copy what Pickens was doing, um, where – that's, you know, Chris did a, an unbelievable job creating an offense that's an empty gun wing tee, you know, where it's, there's always the threat of five verticals, but also you've got buck, you've got counter, you've got power. All of those things are still, because it's an empty wing tee, you still got slots right there, and, or they may attach tight end. So that's kind of what people were doing. Right now, though, we're going to see on our schedule this year, Three wing T teams, three Tony Franklin teams, and then kind of three hodgepodge, or not so much hodgepodge, that's that's not the right terminology. Um, three multiple spread, but still gap run scheme. You know, spread passing concept, gap run scheme. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're going to see a myriad of different stuff. So what's your philosophy on defending the wing T? That's something that – I uh, actually have, I have Jeff Heron coming on the podcast uh, here tomorrow. So he, nice. the, the wing T guru. Um, yes, and defending the wing T out of the stacks. So. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to get your philosophy on that. Well, how do you defend the wing T out of the 3-3? Three, three? All right, so what we'll do there is we'll get to a four down. We'll kick our weak side backer down to a five. We'll take our four technique weak side in, bump him to uh, one technique. We'll take our nose bump him to a three, and then we'll play to the tight end side, our strong end, in a six, and he'll have to demand C-gap. So he's still head up the tight end right there, but he's stepping C-gap. Um, you know, that puts our Mike in a 10 and our Sam in a 30 right there. We're reading guards, uh, playing cover three behind it. Uh, we've got an edge setter to the strong side with one of our ponies, and then our weak side ponies to the weak side right there. If the wing's in the, uh, you know, attached to the weak side right there, he's one by one. If they're in a T set and he's in the backfield, he's going to loosen up by two by four right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where we can still – he's reading if they insert right there for blast or ISO, he can insert right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then behind it, playing cover three. Um, I think – I've done it before in the past where I've played man. Uh, 
I did that when I was at Spalding. Uh, we went and played Ridgeland High School, who's actually in our region now. And they were, you know, really athletic wing T team. And we manned up, but we also had some really athletic kids too. And most of our DB types only played on that side of the ball, so we could spend a ton of time repping. I think if you're playing kids both ways, you you kind of got to go zone against wing T because there's so many rules if you try to man it up. You know, you get flat motion, tail motion, how you're going to adjust. I think it's, it's really uh, – if you've got kids that are crossing over, play cover three, those kids understand thirds. They understand how to midpoint verticals in that. So so do you like to interior blitz wing T teams, especially like buck sweet teams, or do you want to have those guys read, like your Sam and your Mike read more than blitz? Yeah, we're going to read it back. The only thing that we might do right there is choke it down and play that tough front where we go zero, two, four eyes, and stay in the stack. We can play it out of the stack also. It's a, it's a mixer right there. That's not going to be our base that we start out with. But we start out, you know, play four eyes right there, and then our backers straight and send those two ponies off the edge. Um, you know, guys that uh, know the stack right here, it's just a double pop stunt right there. Yeah. You know, send I, them both off the edge right there. Hey, we're speaking the same language because I went – when I went to Elka, Coach Guest gave me Camden County's defensive playbook. So you're talking pop, you're talking uh, uh, if, yeah, tight wolf hold, that kind of stuff. Yeah, if, yeah, buddy, is, blood. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. And it's funny because, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that that I learned stack was, uh, you know, Nick and I were running it some at Spalding. Uh, we got some four down stuff because we were really, really good up front. Um, and we had a couple backers that we knew we could keep free and just let them run and play ball. Mm -hmm. But his best friend was Franklin Stevens that was down there with Coach Heron at Camden for years. And so he brought that, and that was, you know, more or less the playbook that I learned is what Camden County was doing. Um, you know, Terry Crowder, when he went to Chattahoochee, then Creekview, and, and then Denmark recently. Uh, you know, Adam Carter's doing it at Grayson. He's got his own, you know, Compete with the Stack podcast. So that whole tree is – you know, kind of speaking the same stuff that you and I are talking about now. Yeah, I, I, you know, stack, wing T, that's something that I I really have studied up on. We're, we've kind of morphed like a gun, wing T, uh, mm -hmm. fits our personnel uh, pretty good. And I don't know, I'm always playing around like getting under center around the eye though. What do you think about that? Like that's something, I, I like the eye for some reason. I don't know why I like it. I'll tell you it, it almost would scare me now because you never see it anymore. You know, when I was playing in the early 2000s, everybody ran some form of pro eye offense with either, you know, a fullback that was in line in the eye or offset in the king or queen set. You had, you know, uh, 21 personnel out there. You might get a nub tight end. And then on defense, people are running a 4-3 under defense. That's what you saw every week. You know, and it's just now you don't see anybody really running the eye anymore. And football, we're not practicing like that anymore. We're just banging, we're fitting ISO, and we're just smashing stuff. You know, people have made you have to play 53 and a third wide and 100 long, so kids aren't used to playing football in the phone booth right there. Um, the eye, it would make me nervous if I saw somebody that just said, all right, we're going to come up here, we're going to eye to eye, and we're going to run power and make you stop it. Um, yeah, my assistant coaches think I'm, like, schizophrenic, but I'm always, like, looking and, like, hey, man, this looks good. You know, will this fit our personnel? Uh, what's your thoughts on, like, being multiple versus, like, you were talking about getting really good at what you do? Like, what do, what's your thoughts on that? 
So on a defensive standpoint, I think you've got to be good at reading keys. You've got to be good at getting blocks or getting off blocks. You've got to be good at tackling, and you've got to be good at committing turnovers, you know, forcing turnovers right there. You've got to be committed to those things. And then coverage-wise, you've got to have one main coverage for every, you know, major formation, a three-by-one set, a two-by-two set, you know, two-back set. And then you got to have a mixer, something that you can go to that the kids know how to run versus that formation, um, you know, things are going wrong. But I do think that you can get in trouble trying to be overly multiple defensively because you become a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. You know, your kids can do a lot of stuff, but they're just not very good at any of it. Mm-hmm. And it takes away time from developing fundamentals and technique and getting tough. Coach, talk about, like, how do you develop that? So give me, like, a, a typical Tuesday practice schedule. What, what, are, what are you doing on defense to develop your defense? All right, so our Tuesdays, we're going to start off with tackling circuit. I'll be working – Angle tackle, we'll have our D-line coach working fit tackle. They're just fitting up right now. You know, hat, hands, hips, grabbing cloth on the backside. I'm working on angle tackle uh, where we're going near a hip, near shoulder, fitting up, grabbing cloth, running our feet. Our DB coach is working tandem tackle where we're throwing a swing pass. We've got one defender fitting outside, one fitner fitting inside. We're going to close the vice up on them. And then my outside backer coach is working what we call last chance tackle where – our kids dive out, and they've got to quit the heels of – we use half rounds right there, but it's like the runner broke right there. We've got to leave our feet. We're going to clip the heel right there and live play another down. So that's where we're going to start with our tackling circuit. Then we'll go 15 to 20-minute Indy. Um, you know, depending on where we're at in the season, early in the season, it'll be closer to 20 because we've still got to continue to develop skills. Uh, if it's more towards the end of the season, like we're – you know, this is what we're good at. This is what we're going to do. We're going to work on these things. Then we'll go inside period, um, you know, where the backers and the D-line are going to work an inside run. And during that period, that's where we'll get one-on-ones or two-on-twos with our DBs and receivers. And that's not necessarily, like, just man concepts. It's like, all right, guys, you know, we're, uh, we're playing cover four right here, but they're throwing – you know, bubble stalk right here. we got to fit it up, you know, from a too high look where the safety's got to come, run the alley, our corner's got to force outside. Then we'll finish up with the team – or, excuse me, then after that inside and DB receiver one-on-one period is over, we'll go to a perimeter period where we're working passing concepts, Skelly right there, as well as outside run. I think that's important because it forces your backers to also be – like they're not just taking off out of there. They're still going to read their keys. They got to come play the jet. They got to come play the bubble. Um, and while that's going on, our defensive line and offensive line, they're not, it's not just one on one pass rush or one on one board drills. It's okay. Today we're working defeating a reach block. All right. Today we're working defeating a double team. All right. Today we're wing T. So my guard pulls, I got to cross the face of the next down lineman and then get in his hip and get flat down the line. Um, and then we'll finish up with a team period right there. So it ends up being about an hour and 10 minutes on a typical Tuesday. So do you guys have to share kids or do you like get them all on defense? We'll have to share kids this upcoming season. There have been times um, at Pickens that they have not not had to. Um, You know, there was a a really good run of kids that won a lot of games and only a few of them had to cross over. Right now we'll have to share kids. Um, But looking in the future, 
I don't know if that will continue to be the case. Um, you know, and again, like we talked about, it's not like college football or the NFL, like your roster changes so much from one year to another. Yes. So what you can do and how you approach those things has to change significantly from one year to another. Yeah, you know, that's – I mean, that's what – I talk to college coaches sometimes and, you know, they're like, well, we're going to install this scheme, do this. I'm like, well, what do I do? Like, I don't – I can't go recruit the three technique, you know. So, what? You, like you just talked about, you got you got to be multiple and be willing to change, right? Yes, yeah, you've got to be willing to change and you've got to make sure that you're putting your kids in a position to be successful within your scheme. Otherwise, you're not going to win, and they're not going to enjoy it. You know, two things kids want. Kids want to be appreciated and worked hard, and they want to enjoy being out there because, like we said earlier, there's so much other stimulus for them. You know, it's not like it was even 10, 15 years ago. There's just a lot of other stuff for kids to do. So they've got to want to be doing what they're doing out there football-wise with you. So put them in a situation where they can be successful. And if that means tweaking your scheme and you, you know, I have to go from stack in 2020 to a 3-4 in 2021, that's on me to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think high school coaches, we – I think our knowledge base may be broader than, I would say, higher levels because we have to know a lot if we want to put our kids in a position to be successful. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely do. And that's not to say that, like, we're smarter or better coaches. It's just – like you said, we've got to kind of have to know how to fix more than just our scheme right there. Like we got to be able to, okay, I got a bunch of linemen this year. I want to go to a four down. How can I run that and keep these linebackers that have been used to reading stack? You know, how can I keep them successful in that? Um, so I think you're you're exactly right. We we've got to be flexible within our scheme. Absolutely, coach. Coach, as we land this this plane, give give some young coaches or some older coaches, any, any age coaches, give them some advice to, on how to be a, the best coach that they can be. Network. Network. Do, go out and meet as many people as you can. Um, you know, I talked about it a little bit earlier. I'm a huge proponent of Twitter. I think that that's – it's better for the coaching world than it is for anybody else. Because without Twitter, you and I don't connect like this. Like, this isn't happening. You know, but this is an opportunity for me to talk about my philosophy – for me to learn about your philosophy and for us to become better coaches, you know, and your listeners to get a perspective from a guy in Georgia that they never would have had a chance to. So get out, network, um, you know, go to every clinic you can go to. When you go to clinics, wherever it is, you know, in West Virginia, if it's in, you know, Charleston or Huntington or whatever, you know, Glazier Clinic there, like young coaches, sit around whoever the guys are in your state that are really good just sit around them in the lobby in between sessions and just listen, man. Like, just try and be a sponge and absorb as much knowledge as you can. You know, and if it doesn't work with what you believe, say, I don't really like that. But if it's something that you hadn't thought of before, don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, nobody ever got fed without asking. So you've got to go and you've got to learn. You've got to present, you know, information to other people. You've got to promote yourself. Um, you know, a lot of the guys in 
college coaches, a lot of the guys that are high school coaches that are doing it at a high level, well, they're doing it because they got out there and they promoted themselves, not in an arrogant way, but in a way that other people wanted to hear what they had to say, and they got a platform to do so, and then somebody said, hey, I want to hire that guy. So get out there, you know, and don't be scared to, you know, make networking connections. Absolutely, Coach. Coach, this has been gold. Thank you for coming on and sharing uh, all your wisdom with the podcast listeners. I don't know about wisdom, Coach, but I really did enjoy the chance to get over here and just talk ball, man. That's awesome, Coach. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you.